Well, good morning, church family. Are you well-rested? Hopefully so. I know um, I talked to one young family earlier before, as they were coming here. I said, ah, you know, did you get an extra hour of sleep? Was it great? And they're like, no, the kids were up, you know? So um, if you didn't have young children in the family, you ought to be praising the Lord. You got some extra sleep. That's great. If you see some young families around you, just and support them, encourage them, if you would. We're in Colossians chapter 3. Would you turn your Bible open to Colossians chapter 3? If you don't have one, there's some provided for you right there, or you can get on your device, whatever, and look it up. If you don't have your own Bible, we would love to give one to you right afterwards. Just talk to us. We would love to do that because we are passionate about studying God's Word together. And uh, this Word is such a strong, encouraging Word. Did you come to be encouraged? Hopefully so. Um, God's Word is so good at that, sometimes poking those places where we don't want to be poked, but encouraging us, challenging us. And this is one of those great words. So last week, if you weren't with us, or if you're slow to remember, that's okay. Pastor Nate was talking about this uh, wonderful word picture that's given to us in Colossians 3 about clothing. And there is a piece that Paul speaks of that we ought to be taking off the old clothing. If you have placed your faith in Jesus and experienced new life in him, then there are certain things that you ought to take off. You shouldn't be wearing anymore. I uh, enjoy going running in the morning, some of you know, and, um, and I have this habit, in part because I'm an obnoxiously perky morning person, so if I get out of the house and I run out and get some of that energy out, it's better for everybody around me. And in part because it's my quiet time, it's my time that I spend alone with the Lord, I'm just out there, and some of you know the joy of that. And I usually come home stinking, I'm sweating, you know, and I've got this old clothes on, you know, and I, I need to take a shower. Now imagine if I would say, you know what, I think I'm just going to skip the shower, just go straight into work. Actually, Pastor Nate does that occasionally. He takes a ride with Mike. He comes, comes to work. He's all muddy in his spandex and everything, you know, to get that a picture out of your mind, if you would, please. And uh, so, but what has to happen is we need to change and get new clothing on, or else those people that love us around us will say, um, excuse me, but you smell, you stink. Um, do you need some new clothes? And that's the imagery that Paul is going to help us with. Some old stuff that we had to take off. And he describes, it's not a full list, but it's a partial list of stuff that we had to be taking out of our life because it stinks. It's part of the old self. It's actually self-destructive. It's destructive to me. It's destructive to other people around me. It divides me in my relationship with God. And I need to put that stuff aside, consciously say, I'm going to take the old off this morning. I'm not going to wear that stuff this morning. And I'm going to put some new things on. And God's word implores us to consciously take the old nasty clothing and stick it in the laundry. Just Take it consciously aside and say, I am no longer going to be part of that list. I love how Eugene Peterson, the message, puts it. 
He says, now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. Isn't that a good word picture? That he has made new clothing for you. So why would you go back to the old junk? I know some of you just love to wear the old ratty stuff around the house. But if you're going to go into this new life and embrace what God has for you, listen to the counsel of Scripture. So last week, we thought about the things to take off. This morning, we're thinking about the things to put on. Colossians 3, and we're just looking at three verses, 12, 13, and 14. Put on then, Scripture says, as God's chosen ones. Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What a great wardrobe. Now, there's an image that he uses intentionally of this wardrobe that helps us understand why it's so important to take off the old and put on the new each day as a practice, as a spiritual discipline for us to live the life that God is calling us to. And we're doing this, actually, this activity, as Paul frames it, together. In our mission statement, we talk about following Jesus together. It's a team partnership that we do as fellow believers in Christ. And that's the activity that we're called to here. We encourage each other with these virtues that he spells out in these three verses. Um, The former pastor of Hollywood First Press, John Lloyd Ogilvie, says this of the motive behind what we're doing here. He said, the new kind of life we're to live is not one of compulsion, seeking to to earn the Lord's acceptance, but one of conviction, Not one of compulsion, feeling like I've got to earn God's favor, but one of conviction, allowing him to express himself through us. And I think that's really an incredibly helpful description. I don't do things because I'm trying to earn God's acceptance. Now, I have conversations with people all the time who are stuck there, who are stuck just trying to earn God's favor or his approval, trying to earn their way to heaven, whatever it might be. And they don't understand the fundamentals. So let me just rehearse the fundamentals with you this morning briefly. God loves you unconditionally. That's it. Can you say it? God loves me unconditionally. If you don't catch anything else, catch the truth of Scripture. God loves you unconditionally. This is not about earning his favor not about a compulsive thing that we're doing, trying to get God's acceptance. But it is born out of our conviction that this is what he wants for us. You know, Scripture says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your works because otherwise you're going to be a fathead. You're going to think that you earned it somehow. Instead, we're moved to action out of our conviction. We've experienced his unconditional love, his acceptance for us, and we're convicted of that, and we act on that conviction. We act on his love, and we want to embrace all that he has for us and for him to express himself through us to our friends and to our neighbors. 
We want to see more of Jesus. As Paul puts it in the beginning of chapter 3, we have set now our hearts on Christ out of conviction, not out of compulsion. So God's teaching us in his word here how that kind of life looks like, what we need to put on that would be new, that would express Christ in us, him living in us. Again, from Eugene Peterson's The Message, he puts verse 12 this way, So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. The English, the ESV puts it this way, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And I want to rehearse that briefly, park it there briefly, just to remind us that we are chosen. That's the first thing in that verse that you need to underline, that that we are chosen by God. We didn't initiate this relationship we have with him. He initiated it in us. That's a truth reinforced in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and John 15 and 2 Peter chapter 2. And in Ephesians 1, 4, that says God chose us before the foundations of the world, right? He chose us. Think about that for a moment, how precious that is, how amazing that is. And before you get a super fat head, think about the words that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that he says he loves to use the foolish. He chooses the foolish, the things that are little and weak and frail. That's who he chooses for his glory, so his glory can shine. So that's a great check on us. But we are chosen as an expression of God's profound and curious and generous love for us. And we are holy, it says. We are set apart. Now, Paul has reminded us of this in Colossians chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 2. And in 2 Timothy 1, 9 through 10, it says that the God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, he did that not because of anything that we had done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. God had always purposed for you to be holy, for you to be set apart. Now, you might not have felt that this week. You might have gone to school or to work or in your neighborhood, done whatever you're doing, and felt anything but holy. But God, through his grace, sees you as holy. And so we are to rise up and live up to our identity in him. So we are chosen, we are holy, that is, we are set apart, and we are beloved. Love that word. We are dearly loved by God. That word agapao used here is speaking of how God treasures us, how we are beloved of him, we're precious to him. And there's no more powerful motivating force in our lives than to remember that we are loved by God. Right? That's what drives our conviction. It drives our actions. It's not duty or force. It's the love of God. It's compelling love. And that's the basis for our motive and our action. So we got this um, <clears throat> a couple weeks ago. We got this Snapchat from Josh, my, my son, my older son, who is overseas. He's serving in the military. If you know a little bit about my son... From junior high all the way through junior high and all the way through high school, all he ever wore was shorts and a T-shirt. We had to twist his arm, right, to get him to wear anything but that. 
And uh, I remember we had this, this wedding coming up, this family wedding, and he has this really great relationship with his family member who is getting married. And she said, listen, Josh, you're not wearing shorts to my, to my wedding. I'll give you two options. You can either wear long pants or a kilt, right? <laughs> so he chose the long pants, went to the wedding, you know, grumbling. Well, we get this Snapchat, Josh, and he's dressed up. He's looking really nice, you know? And as soon as we got it, Sue and I look at each other like, what? What is that? That can't be our kid. What? You know, so we text him back, you know, what's going on? And he's like, yeah, I had to raise my game a little bit, you know. He's dressing, right, appropriately. He's, he's dressing nice. He's raised his game a bit. And that's the imagery, again, here in verse 12 through 14. To dress like the ones that we are called to be. Dressing up to our identity. And then he frames it in these eight virtues or pieces of clothing. The first one being compassion, which literally means to be touched in our heart for others in such a way that we express active empathy. Compassion is looking at that gruffy guy who is stuck, like looking on his phone or in the sports page or doing whatever, and you see him and you have compassion on him, or that child that you have in a house that's once again doing that squirrely thing, and you look at them with compassion. It's looking at that lady and knowing that she's got to get her words out, and so you have compassion and listen. It's looking at that parent, students, I'm talking to you specifically, looking at that parent and knowing that they are not perfect, but that they love you, and giving them space, right? Giving them compassion. It's looking at that boss who once again has annoyed you and giving them grace. We are to approach life, Paul says, with this attitude of compassion because that's how Christ looks at us. That's how Jesus operates. Put on this clothing, this active clothing of compassion when we think about our coworkers or that peer that I'm annoyed with, or that friend that needs my compassion, my act of compassion. And then put on kindness, it says, that thoughtful action that reveals compassion, that pat on the shoulder, or an invitation to lunch, or treating someone, going outside of myself and taking time for them. It's the unexpected concern that demonstrates itself without a thought of what's to be gained. It's empathy that acts. And we're to put on compassion and kindness as we start our day every day. What would that look like in your house? If you actually thought about it, you're there in the mirror and you're thinking about getting ready, you're just taking a shower and you thought, I got to put on new clothes. You're not going to put on the old stuff, right? You've already put that off and now you're going to put on the new and you think, wow, the first thing I really need to think about is putting on compassion. How would that change the things that happen around the breakfast table? I gotta put on kindness. How is that gonna start the day different for you? Because now you're acting in very practical ways like Jesus would act. You're in first period, or you're at the beginning of the workday, and you think, these things I've gotta have on compassion and kindness. And I've gotta put on humility. John Stott, the theologian, rightly calls this piece of new clothing the rarest and fairest of all Christian virtues. He believed the chief Christian virtue is humility because it's the exact opposite of pride or hubris or narcissism. 
Wow, that's a timely word as we think about elections, isn't it? Humility. It's regarding others as better than myself, as Philippians chapter 2 puts it. Humility puts others above ourselves. There's a wonderful story um, that Swindoll tells, Chuck Swindoll, the pastor, tells, of um, this tour group that went to see Beethoven's last home. And uh, they're all there. It's a British group, and they all come. You know, they, they have tour groups go through this place often. And it's got all of his, his stuff that he had at the end of his life, including his piano that's there in the room. And this group comes up, and they're looking at the piano. And this, this younger lady, she comes from the back, and she kind of scoots people across, and she goes right down to the piano, sits down on the bench, and plays one of his sonatas, right? She's all proud about it. You know, she's thinking about how great she just did. And she looks up with a you know, beaming, and she says to the, to the docent there, the, the tour guide says, I bet you a lot of people do that, huh? But probably not you know, quite that good. And, and the docent says, well, actually, you know, last week we had one of the foremost pianists in the world here with her. And, uh, of course, everybody wanted to hear him play the piano, and so they're all begging him to play. And... And um, he kind of puts it off a little bit, and they, they get more and more forceful. No, you've got to play. We just, you know, we would love to have you play this. And then he says, no, I'm, I'm not worthy. And uh, the true group goes on, and Docent just ends with that story, right? A powerful story. Think about how humbling that might have been in her case. The story is that we are not worthy. We're not worthy of the love of God. We're not worthy of his grace for us. How forgiving he is, how compassionate and kind he is. So how does that shift our thinking and how we treat other people? How we're humble toward other people, not putting ourselves in front of them. And then we're told that we ought to put on meekness, which means strength under control in the scripture. It's a real strength, but it doesn't have to display itself. It doesn't have to show off. It's a person that demonstrates something of strength and confidence as they are gentle in relationships, but firm in convictions. Gentle in relationships and firm in convictions. I was reminded this week about how often believers, people who are passionate about following Jesus, get it wrong with unbelievers, with people who are still in process. So um, some of you know that this last week we didn't do the giant pumpkin patch tradition thing that we do, but we invited like small groups to get creative and people to get creative and do different things. And one of the small groups I'm blessed to be a part of um, met at Randy and Connie's home and got the chance to go over there and um, invited, they just invited their neighbors over for dinner before they went off trick-or-treating. And so we had a bunch of families that came over and were in these conversations. And I'm sitting next to this lady and uh, we start talking about different things. And, and she said, why aren't you? Know, I've been to one of your pumpkin patches. Why didn't you know we're doing that? And I said, well, one of the reasons is we really want to like, develop relationships with people. And that was a really great program event. We might well do it again. But um, we wanted to take a pause and just see if we could dive into relationships a little bit more effectively. And so um, she said, well, that's great. And we talked some more. And then she says, you know, um, I've just got to acknowledge, admit this, that I have these questions about Jesus and about the faith, but I've never felt comfortable talking to them about a Christian because every time I ask questions of a Christian, I feel judged. 
Wow. I was like, and I said, I was like, oh, I hate that. <laughs> like that, oh, that's heartbreaking. She says, not in Latin what they said, but just in the way they, you know, they carry themselves. I feel judged. She's saying they're not meek is what she's saying. And I'm thinking, oh, you know what? I love conversation with people about the Lord. I, there's not a question you can ask to be stupid, and I would love to have conversation with you. And just ask, you know? And so for the next, I don't know, I don't know how long it was, but for the next quite a while, we had these, this great conversation about her questions. And at the end, she walks out the door, and she said, I'm not done with this conversation, right? I thought that was fantastic. I thought that was great. But what I was struck by, still struck by, that, that word that she said there in the middle of it, like she wasn't comfortable asking questions of Christians because we weren't meek. That was convicting, wasn't it? Put on, intentionally, it says, put on meekness, Scripture says. And here's the one that really is so difficult, patience. You knew God was going to get there and poke you that way, right? Well, it's just such an encouraging word, and then we have to talk about the P word, about patience, because it's such a difficult word to talk about. The enduring of another's exasperating conduct without getting seriously ticked off. That's how I defined it. It's used here as a negative, actually. It's holding back or restraining ourselves from becoming upset or speaking sharply or shrilly to someone like your friend or your child or the boss or the guy that cut you off in traffic. And I got to just tell you, I knew that as soon as I saw the scripture at the beginning of the week that we were going to go here, I was going to wrestle with it. Like Pastor Nate shared that last week, and I thought, oh, great. I know I've got the patience word in this text. And, it's gonna... and all week long, I was wrestling and failing and saying, guy, I didn't put it on like I should have intentionally thought. What the Lord really wants is for me to be patient, for me to act like him. Because how patient has he been with me? How patient has he been with you? Like the God of the universe, the perfect God of the universe, sinless, holy, high, almighty God has been so patient with us. And he wants us to wear that kind of clothing. And linked with that patience is forbearance. The scripture says, bear with one another. It does not say, be a bear with one another. Tom, you know what I'm saying? It says, bear with one another. Literally, to uphold and support someone. You're not only to restrain yourself, but to figure out, how do I support and encourage one another? Because this is our activity as believers in the faith to support. Hopefully, you come on a Sunday morning and you feel encouraged strengthen to walk with Jesus closer because of what God is doing by his spirit and through other believers. And that's how you walk away and you think about how can I do that in another person? Like a patient, forbearing parent who puts up with all kinds of stuff, including dirty diapers and yelling kids at all kinds in the morning because of their great love, right? Or a, a really fantastic teacher who forbears with all the questions that might come just because they have the end in mind. We put on forbearance. I remember a conversation I had with my, my sons um, a few years ago. They probably don't remember it, but I do remember it. Um, and they were talking about different things that they were doing. And I said, you know what my goal is as a dad is for you to grow. 
bigger and smarter and better than me. I want you to excel beyond me. That's what I want. And I want to be the kind of dad that forbears, that, that bears with all of their weakness and knows that I've got a lot more than they do. So we put on intentionally this attitude of forbearance, bearing with one another. And then, this is maybe even the most convicting one, that we forgive one another. That gets personal, doesn't it? And notice it doesn't just say it on a theoretical plane. It says, forgive as the Lord Jesus forgave you. Ouch, right? That's, that's incredibly challenging. How did he forgive you? He looked at all of your failings and all of your struggle, all the things that you said against him, the way you blasphemed him, the way that you offended him, all of that offense and sin. And he looked at you, loving you, and he forgave you. And he gave his life on a cross before you even said, please forgive me. He gave himself for you. He he stepped into it before you even asked. It's hugely convicting, isn't it? Now understand this, according to scripture, forgiveness doesn't mean that you just bury every grievance or frustration you have. Actually, scripture gives us a tool in Matthew chapter 18 to step into it. If I have something against another person, a sister or brother, then I go to them personally, individually, and we take care of that business. We talk it through. We learn how to forgive one another, to go to them. We don't have to repress every feeling of injustice or unfairness. Some slights are definitely worth overlooking, and some issues, they can't be allowed to sit and fester. We have to have those conversations that sometimes might be difficult. And having gone there to seek the point of that, grace, to give grace to one another, in our failings, to forget it, to put it away, to no longer let yourself dwell there. Our model, of course, is Christ's treatment of ourselves. He forgave all of our unkind thoughts, all of our impurities, all of our failings, because he loves us. He forgave us. Do you know that? If you actually have given those sins, those struggles up to God and sought his forgiveness, that they're, they're gone. And he doesn't drag them back up in front of you. That's not how he operates. He forgives us. And it's helpful to remember that this kind of forgiveness means at least three things. It means that we are not to keep bringing up to the person whom we have forgiven the thing we forgave, Right? You know what I'm talking about here, especially in the family dynamics, how the crazy that can get. We, we say we forgive somebody, and then next week maybe they do something similar, and we bring up. All of a sudden we get historical. <laughs> That's not forgiveness, is it? Not as the Lord forgives us. The point of forgiveness is that the laundry is clean now. This demonstrates when we struggle with it that we're still wrestling with understanding forgiveness. It should be a red flag to our, our life with the Lord and our life with each other when we get historical like that. Praise God, our sins are removed completely. In the Old Testament, 
one of the images is that they're cast into the sea, in the depths of the sea, far away from me. And I love how last, in the last century, one of the wonderful believers, a woman named Corrie Ten Boom, some of you might know the name, um, who went through the Holocaust. And Corrie says, um, forgiveness is like the Lord casting sins into the sea. And then you know what the Lord does then? He puts a no fishing sign there. We don't bring it back up. We forgive. That's a great picture, isn't it? The second thing forgiveness means is that we don't parade it in front of others, this matter that's forgiven. We don't drag it out in front of a lot of other people and say, look at all the things that I have done to forgive this person who has wronged me. We don't gossip about it to others. We're not allowed to talk about it over and over again and let our feelings of resentment and unfairness play all over again. And we don't air that laundry in the neighborhood. That's not forgiveness. Let's remember how graciously God set aside our own failures and he doesn't drag them out in front of others. He keeps them confidential. And then the third thing forgiveness means is you don't keep reminding yourself of what has been forgiven. You don't keep beating yourself up and not experiencing true forgiveness because you are forgiven. You're clean. Take joy in that. Remind that the Lord has put it aside. You don't want people mulling over your sin, so why do you do that yourself? Why do you dredge them up yourself? Forgiveness means that you put that aside just as Christ has done for you. He's made you clean. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen to that? Amen to that. And then having all this clothing, these beautiful things to wear, the, the, God's word tells us to wrap it all around us with love. Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Someone's put it this way. Put on the overcoat of love. Like, of all these things, put on love as God has loved you. It's a fitting description because love protects us. It shelters us. It warms us. It ties all these things together. This love spoken of here in Colossians chapter 3 is that quality of acceptance and proactive care of others that comes as a product of Christ in us. I had this wonderful conversation um, last week with a young lady who was asking about, okay, so the Christ in us thing that we hear about in Colossians, is that literal or like a metaphor? It's like a picture. What do you think? Christ in us. There's a lot of people here who will scratch their head over that, right? So the answer is, what does Scripture say? Because it says it not just in Colossians, but in Ephesians. It says it all over Scripture, that if you're a believer, you are now indwelt by the living God. It's both. It is a word picture to help you understand it. And it is true that Christ actually lives in you. So why would you wear stinky clothing? Why would you go back to the old stuff when you've got this great stuff to wear that Christ has gifted you with? Put on intentionally the things that would bring him glory and reflect his honor in your life. And do that out of conviction, not out of compulsion, because Christ is in you. And notice the product of what happens at the very end of this. What happens when 
those verses, when you're wearing what Christ wants you to wear, it says it's perfect harmony. When I was in college, I was in a choir, and we did this, uh, this recording. And it was, it's hard work doing a recording, especially back in the ancient days where they didn't have all the bells and whistles that you have now and getting it perfect. And we had some intricate harmonies we were working on. And you know, if you're a singer, when you get it right, like everybody's just right there. Well, it took us a long time. The choir director kept stopping us, starting us over again, stopping us, starting us over again, because, you know, the sopranos would be a little bit off, and then the tenors would be a little bit off, and we weren't like fully, but when you caught it, that there's these, when you catch perfect harmony, there's these overtones that come up. It's, it's really great, and it's inspiring, you know, and when you finally catch it, it's like goosebump moment, and that's what it's talking about here, this way that the Christian body is intended to live life together in perfect harmony that gets the overtones so people can see Jesus in us when we're wearing clothing like this. Perfect harmony. So here's the challenge. How do you get dressed this week? Like like literally, in the morning, how do you get dressed each week? Are you going to think about um, your wardrobe? What you're actually intentionally going to be like that day? Are you going to reflect Christ and actually intentionally ask God to dress you with these virtues that he has laid out for you? He wants you to wear them, or are you going to look back in the dirty laundry and say, ah, I think I'll go for this stuff, right? I would encourage you, challenge you to actively step into a moment of prayer each moment, I mean, each morning, and just rehearse Colossians 3 before the Lord. Lord, help me to put off this old stuff that's not me anymore, the stuff that stinks, that stuff will not reflect Jesus, and help me to put on these things. Lord, because of your great love for me, I'm no longer what I once was. Lord, we are no longer what we once were. I don't want to dress like that. I am chosen, holy, and loved. Oh, Lord, give us the strength to put off the old. And now, Lord, in this new day, dress me, dress us in compassion, kindness, humility, and meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, and love. For the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ, we all pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.